Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome into another edition of the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brady Farkas. You can follow me on Twitter at FA Radio Brady. You can like me on Facebook at Brady Farkas Sports Radio Personality. Aaron Wells is our producer backstage as well. We're going to be joined in this episode by former Raiders offensive lineman, part of the Raiders radio network, Lincoln Kennedy. He's a former Pro Bowler and multi-time All-Pro offensive lineman. So Lincoln Kennedy coming up in the episode. As always, the podcast brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. We are three weeks in. The wait is over. College football is back. Football is back. You might not always be at the games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. I did not win my bet yesterday of Dallas plus five at Seattle, but you could argue I should have won. Dak Prescott did almost throw for the 700 yards. I told you that he would last week. Moral victories, sadly, do not count in gambling, so I lost that one. This week, I already like Baltimore minus 13.5 against the Washington football team. Washington got beat by double digits by Cleveland. Cleveland got blown out by Baltimore. That game has 52 to 10 written all over it. So Baltimore minus 13 and a half. So from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, bet online gives you the most options to wager in anywhere in the internet universe. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head online to betonline.ag today and take advantage to the podcast. Here we go. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now, it's your host, me, Brady Farkas. Patriots beat the Raiders 36-20, to and in so in doing so, they moved to 2-1. and one. Raiders suffered their first loss. It wasn't necessarily pretty. They started the game with multiple three-and-outs. And the Raiders were actually controlling the game for a while, but missed field goals, fumbles, and a failure to cash in on opportunities doomed them. But a win is a win, and it was a great win, considering that the division around them continues to stink outside of Buffalo. Would have been nice if Buffalo had done its part and blown their 28-3 lead against the Rams, but they're still right now the class of the AFC East at 3-0. But it's nice to see the Patriots adapt and prove that they can play in multiple ways. They ran for 250 yards. I'm taping this portion of the podcast on Monday. So they ran for 250 yards yesterday. They didn't play particularly clean offensively, and they still won by double digits. That's the hallmark of a good team. If you use the analogy in baseball, it's pretty easy to understand. Can you win when your fastball is not working? Can you win when your breaking ball isn't working? The best pitchers can go out and give you six, seven innings when they don't have their A-plus stuff, when only two of their three pitches are on, or when the umpire's squeezing them, the weather is bad, the mound has a rut in it, and the conditions are adverse. They can still find a way. That's what the Patriots did yesterday. Last week, they played pretty and lost. This week, they played ugly and won. I think a lot of people would still take yesterday over what happened in Seattle a week from yesterday. 
Let's get to the overall takeaways, though. Overall takeaways. Number one. The game played out largely like I thought it would. I, I thought last week the Raiders would find a way to Raiders this performance, and they did just that. Missed kicks, fumbles, costly penalties, all of it found its way into the flow of the game, and all of it bit the Raiders in the backside. I was even a guest last week on the Believe in Raiders podcast with Dennis Ackerman, and he asked me a question. He said, Brady, finish this sentence. The Patriots win this game if. And my answer was, the Raiders turn it over. And by and large, that is how it played out. The Patriots rarely beat themselves. Yes, Cam had a bad pick yesterday. Cam had a disappointing interception, rolling right, tried to make too much happen, a little bit trying to throw to the outside, didn't see the defender. They, the Patriots gave you gave the Raiders one chance yesterday. Raiders turned it over three times. They fumble in the end zone. They fumble questionably in the red zone with Josh Jacobs, although it could have been overturned, but they fumble there. They commit penalties. They allowed the Patriots to stay on the field after they would have forced a three and out. The Raiders found a way to Raiders this. I told you for 20 years, I thought that the, the Raiders are one of the worst teams in the NFL, and they always find a way to bungle something. What happened yesterday? The Patriots didn't play great, but they were able to capitalize on the Raiders' mistakes, something the Raiders aren't, something the Raiders didn't really have a chance to do outside of the cam interception. I mean, the Patriots eventually seize control of this game. And, and listen to this. So this stat comes from Evan Lazor, who covers the Patriots as well as anybody, especially from a statistical standpoint. Patriots yards per play yesterday in the first quarter, 2.7. 2.7 yards per play in the first quarter. Patriots yard per play in the last three quarters, 6.8. So they get the ball. They wear you down. They run the ball while 250 yards rushing the Patriots got yesterday, and they just start to seize control and suck the life out of the Raiders. That's what they did. Patriots have not committed a single offensive penalty through three games. No false start, no holding, no offensive interference, no illegal pick play, nothing. The Patriots have not committed one single offensive penalty through three games. That is what we call good football. The Patriots... It wasn't always clean yesterday, but they're not going to beat themselves. It's something that the Raiders did to number two. Number two. This continues to be proven right. The running back by committee works. I've thought this for years. When you aren't beholden to one back, you can really change things up. And you aren't decimated by an injury. Look at what look at the Giants with Saquon Barkley. They are their offense is built around Saquon Barkley. He's gone. They're one of the worst teams in the league. Christian McCaffrey plays, and Carolina is winless. Christian McCaffrey doesn't play. Carolina goes on and wins. Explain to me how that works. Running back by committee allows you a different style, a different format, a different game script, allows you to keep people fresh, allows you to keep people healthy. Seven different Patriots got carries yesterday on Sunday. They always keep the defense guessing. And by the way, we didn't even see James White play in this game, or else it would have been eight probably guys that got carries. Rex Burkhead is a do-everything back, and he did a lot of this yesterday. Aaron, let's hear Rex Burkhead. Let's hear uh, New England Patriots number one. Edelman on the right wing, Burkhead behind him, takes the hand off, runs it left. Burkhead, nice, switched it into the end zone with a diving touchdown for the Patriots. Burkhead, for the second time today, leaves his feet. He got three touchdowns yesterday. That's Bob Sosi, 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston, friend of the podcast, on the call. And Aaron, for good measure, 
Let's hear another Rex Burkhead touchdown. To go one timeout left for New England. Burkhead at the left of Newton with Edelman to motion into the backfield. Play fake to Edelman. And a screen wide for Burkhead. He cuts it to the 10 and it eludes the defender to the 5. Oh. Burkhead goes airborne, vaulting oh. to the end zone. Touchdown, Patriots. The cut that Rex Burkhead put on the defensive back there, I think it was Jonathan Abram. I mean, that was the dance move of all dance moves. That is Michael Jackson thriller moonwalking stuff right there. I mean, he absolutely put the defender in a blender. Burkhead is a do-everything back. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He runs it hard between the tackles. He's fast enough to get lateral. Six carries, 49 yards, team high seven catches. Then there's undrafted rookie J.J. Taylor, 11 carries, 43 yards. Then there's Sony Michelle, who had his best game maybe of his entire career, but certainly of the last year and a half. He had 117 yards yesterday. He had 72 of them, 72 of his 117 yards came after contact. We don't see Sonny Michelle do that. He, he showed burst through the middle. He showed cutting ability. He showed some breakaway speed. He showed a toughness where he did not go down. Sonny Michelle had turned into 3.5 yards of carry and down easily. Not yesterday. Not yesterday. So when you are not the holding two one back, you can move the ball in a variety of different ways. And we haven't even mentioned Cam yet. Cam, it was his least effective running day, but the threat of the run was there, right? And it opens up everything for everybody else. So staple of running backs, absolutely a, a huge benefit for the Patriots. And as running backs continue to get diminished in the analytics world, you're going to see more and more teams that have this kind of formula that the Patriots have. And you are seeing that it works. Cam gets the ball. White gets the ball when he plays. Michelle gets the ball. If he runs like this, he's going to get the ball a lot more. Taylor, Burkhead. We haven't even seen Damian Harris yet, who, who can just finally come off IR this week. Taylor, Edelman, Perry, Zuber. It doesn't matter who. Multiple different people can touch the ball for New England in the run game, and it is a huge benefit for them. After the game on NBC Sports, Boston's postgame show, former Patriots quarterback Matt Castle had this to say. They scored uh, six of their last eight possessions. They put points on the board. And all of that had to do with the run game. And the two possessions that they didn't were the kneel down. So really, it was six to six. They controlled the time of possession. They were physical. The offensive line played brilliant. Sony Michelle, I mean, he averaged 13 yards a carry today. Rex Burkhead was over eight yards a carry. It was an outstanding performance by the running backs. And they also were such a huge, integral part of the pass game today with the screens and the run after catch. Patriots did run a lot of screens yesterday. We're going to follow up on that thought later in the podcast as well. But Burkhead's ability to catch, White's usual ability to catch. Even Sonny Michelle had two catches in 23 yards yesterday. Michelle, you know, lucky if he gets one catch per game for the entire year the last two years. He had two catches, 23 yards, moves the ball. You're starting to see the Patriots, again, use all of these guys, use all of their players. Maybe there's not one dynamic go-to guy in this offense. You got a lot of good football players, and that matters. Let's get to number three. Number three. Three isn't so much a takeaway as it is a question, and it stems off of those running backs that we talked about. I love the bevy of running backs. I love running back by committee. What happens when James White and Damian Harris come back? What happens? Because I've seen enough from J.J. Taylor both, both offensively and special teams-wise I'm not, he's no practice squad player to me. He's no inactive player to me. So 
Michelle, Burkhead, uh, Taylor. That's three running backs. Then Harris. Then White. I mean, we're talking. Are you gonna go? Are you gonna go five deep and all of them get the ball? I don't know. It's a good problem to have. I'm glad everybody is healthy. I'm glad all these players can contribute. But Josh McDaniels is going to have a hard time figuring out exactly who's going to be active, who's going to play, and who's going to play what role. I'm curious what happens there as we move forward into week four. Um, A lot of people with a lot of takes about the Patriots coming out of week number three and a win over the Raiders. Aaron, what are they saying? Sometimes people say stupid things. I said, how do I want Patriot games to go? For Cam to play great and they to lose in heartbreak. Check and check. Everything came up, Nick, right this weekend. Sometimes people say smart things. But it works. I thought Cam was accurate. I thought he made really good decisions. They played to his strengths. Locally, regionally, nationally. Here's what they're saying about your New England Patriots. Former Patriots linebacker Ted Johnson, NBC Sports Boston, he had this to say after the Pats win over the Raiders regarding the running game. We had a question, I think, going into this game about the Patriots' run game, their traditional running game. Now we know they can run the football in a traditional way. Rex Burkhead and Sony Michelle went off in this game. The running game is what is going to be this team's bread and butter. And so uh, watch out the rest of the NFL. Last week I told you about in regards to Cam Newton, it was on Thursday's podcast, One of my favorite qualities in people is self-awareness. One of my favorite qualities in teams is also self-awareness. The Patriots running game is their bread and butter. It is what will carry them. It opens up everything else. Good for the Patriots to recognize their strengths. So often, teams want to be what they are not. Think about Cleveland a year ago, right? Cleveland with Kareem Hunt, when he could play, and Nick Chubb, dynamic running game, right? Or should have had a dynamic running game. But instead, Freddie Kitchens, let's get cute. Baker Mayfield, let's throw it 42 times. Let's move you around. Let's go away from Chubb. Didn't work. And the team ends up being an abject dumpster fire. Teams have a hard time recognizing who they should be and who they are. The Patriots recognize their strengths. And it's actually ironic to note this. Mike Clay of ESPN had this stat that teams are running a little bit more through the first three weeks of this NFL season than they did last year. So last year, Passing plays 61.3%. This year, passing plays 60.6%. So it's only a very small drop. But as we keep hearing, it's a passing league. It's a pass-first league. It's a quarterback league. You are seeing more and more teams start to move to not maybe not necessarily run first, but run more. Heck, even Cleveland, who we talked about, you know, I just talked about a second ago, they're recognizing under Kevin Stefanski that they should be building around Nick Chubb offensively. When you have a running game that is your strength, it will open up all of these other options. It opens up Julian Edelman. It opens up Demir Bird. It opens up Nikhil Harry. It opens up all of those running backs. And the Patriots running game and their running backs are the heart and soul of this offense. And they everything moves off of them. Cam's opportunities also are, are really important. They all kind of work off of each other. But running game in general, the running game in general, is the strength of this team, and it opens up everything else. And and by the way, I want to bring in Aaron on this, also our producer. Um, I want to know what you thought of this, because to me, the Patriots are telling you what they think of their wide receivers in their game script. 
it was a ton of run plays, a ton of slants, and a ton of screens. For the most part, they did not think they could beat the Raiders down the field, and they rarely even tried. Did you see it that way? Well, so there, there are a couple of different things there, right? First of all, it is true that they are working with, uh, I mean, Demir Bird's playing like 70% of the snaps on offense, and that's a guy who's really not, I mean, Demir Bird. But then the other thing I think is that Raiders front really does not have it together. They played well in the first quarter, but so far this season, the talk about the Raiders' defense has been that front's really not that great. Um, so I think it's a, a mix of, yeah, they have limited experience and ability at wide receiver, but there also was a weakness to exploit there in the Raiders' front. Yeah, but if the front is bad, I and mean, we've talked about this a lot with the guys over at Pro Football Focus, if the front is bad and that it, if it can't get home, then shouldn't that, in theory, give the wide receivers more time to separate because Cam, in theory, should have more time to be back there throwing? The Raiders' front, I did think, got home a couple of times and forced Cam off of his spot, but by your logic, Cam should have had more time to throw, and therefore his receiver should have had more time to separate. They don't even—they didn't even try it. Well, rushing the quarterback and defending the run are two very different areas, and, and I think you could see. I mean, Rex Burkhead's a very good running back, and Sony Michelle definitely has a lot of upside. But those guys both played really above their normal playing ability against that front yesterday, and I think that's what I mean when I say the front was weak. Is there were holes to be opened there by our offensive line? Um, and if I'm Bill Belichick, I'd rather run for eight yards a carry than attempt 50 passes a game when I'm still trying to figure out what my offense is going to be this year. I just think also I, maybe last week tells us about Seattle too. And Seattle, gave, they got gashed again yesterday by Dallas, but they were able to go down the field last week against Seattle. But again, they didn't even try. Now, the Raiders have, you know, when you look at Arnett and you look at Abram, they've got some high profile draft guys in that secondary and some young athleticism. So maybe the Patriots naturally can't just beat those guys one-on-one, but I thought it was telling in their game plan. It was get the ball out quickly. It was a lot of screens, a lot of misdirection, and a lot of slants or skinny posts. The the Patriots did not try to go down the field. And I think think they're telling you what they think of their wide receiver crew. And you are, because when you look at their receiver core, you have Julian Edelman, who – They've already there's already been talk that it's going to be less is more with him this year. He's you know well past his prime as an athlete. You can't give him the ball a ton of times and expect him to stay healthy. And you've got Nikhil Harry who's still figuring out how to play in the NFL. He's had his moments, but he's not a consistent in terms of his ability to make plays. And then after that, it's really a mix and match of pulling guys like Zuber up off the practice squad. Demir Bird's getting a lot of snaps, like I said. Um, I mean, it's there's not a ton of depth there. Well, they certainly need to get something out of the tight ends because Izzo, Asiasi, Keen can't, you know, can't get on the field right now. Um, there's certainly some issues there as well. Aaron, let's get to uh, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. He was talking after the game about the negatives that he saw from Cam Newton yesterday. The decisions today with the football, Michael, not good at all. Not good. Not good in the least. I mean, when you look at the interception rolling to his right, I thought actually the protection on the play was good, and that was kind of a consistent theme. I thought the offensive line played really well, but pr- the protection would break down eventually because nobody's getting open or he couldn't find any receivers, and he starts to roll, and that's where things sort of went haywire for him. Well, that ties us back to our previous point. The Patriots can't beat anybody down the field. 
even Colin Coward tweeted during the game yesterday after the Patriots' first scoring drive that Cam looked good, but they they need a vertical threat. People around the league are noticing this, and if, if I'm a team with a good secondary, I would just have to trust my secondary to win one-on-one battles and still dare Cam to throw it deep because you're right now, they can't and aren't willing to, by and large, except for when they were down double digits against Seattle last week. I'd lo- I'd stack eight in the box, and I would try to stop the running game, and I would try to limit the screen game and limit those short passes and challenge you to throw it over the top. They're going to see Kansas City. They're going to see Denver. Denver, man, but they've had a good secondary traditionally. Um, we'll see what happens there. But if I'm a team with good physical corners – I would like if I'm Buffalo when they play, I'd absolutely just say Tredavious White's going to lock down whoever he's whoever is in front of him. That secondary is going to bully people on the back end. And we're going to challenge you to beat us over the top. And right now, at least three weeks in, Patriots don't have the ability to do so. All right, I want to get to our guests now. It is Lincoln Kennedy, former offensive lineman, played with the Raiders, also played with the Falcons as well, played in the Super Bowl for John Gruden, played in the Tuck Roll game, pro bowler, all pro now part of the Raiders radio broadcast team as well. So let's get to Lincoln Kennedy. All right, I want to welcome in Lincoln Kennedy, all-pro lineman, Pro Bowl lineman, part of the Raiders radio team. Lincoln, thanks for being with us, man. i got to ask you right off the bat, what were your overall takeaways from yesterday? Well, obviously I was a little disappointed the Raiders couldn't pull out a win. But you know what the thing is, is that um, coming into the season, I thought the Raiders were a decent team. I thought they were a playoff caliber team. But I had no expectations they were going to go undefeated. Um, they, they ran into a, a sort of a, a fierce wall. Um, a, a run, the, the defense, run defense was not existed yesterday. I, I think the, the Patriots almost ag- actually piled up close to 250 yards, if not over yeah. that, um, running the ball. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me. But the thing is, is that this is a team that's still learning. Um, the strength of this team is the offense. And when it doesn't score and has to score a lot of points, it's going to struggle to win. And that's exactly what happened yesterday against the Patriots. How are you guys calling games this year, by the way? How challenging is it? <laughs> it's it's challenging for Brett and I because we're not allowed to travel uh, due yeah. to the NFL protocol. Some, it's actually judged by team by team, but we're not allowed to travel. So Brett and I are doing all the games from Allegiant Stadium. And yesterday, because the, the, the Raiders were in New England, um, we had to do it via TV. So we used the TV broadcast to call our game from. Does anything become easier for you by doing it via the monitor? Does anything at all make it easier? No. Not for me. Um, I'm, I'm one of these guys that I, I, I look at the live action and I look at it different because the way I assess my points is to view how, say, where the safeties are um, yeah. and, and on the defense, um, you know, what type of motion uh, and what type of reaction to motion. When you watch the TV copy, a lot of times, the, the and this is one thing that's the reason why I don't necessarily listen to announcers when I'm watching it, mm-hmm. is because the conversation and the camera sort of curtail your viewpoint. Okay. And they tell you what to look for. And I'm one who looks at all 22. So I pay attention to the entire field, as well as body language and stuff like that, that you can't sometimes get from the camera angle. Did you walk away from yesterday's game at all thinking the Raiders weren't as good as they looked the first two weeks? No, 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 no. Matter of fact, I would have been shocked if they would have came out the game three and up. Um, mainly because it's just they, they've got a lot of growing pains. I, as I said before, I think the Raiders are a decent team. I think they're a playoff caliber team but they have a lot of work to do. Now, even though this is the Patriots podcast, I am not necessarily a Patriots homer. I thought the Patriots were an eight-win team baseline uh-huh. to start the year. I ended up thinking they were far more impressive after that Seattle loss. Did you walk away impressed with New England overall? 
Well, I think they've got some things that they can definitely work on. I think when, when you have a, a coach as high quality as Belichick and he's, he's able to take away what most opposing offenses can do well, um, you give yourself a chance. You give yourself a chance there. Now, with the balance, I think Cam, you know, Cam has played well. Didn't necessarily have a great game yesterday, but what they did well is they ran the ball. And so with just like they did in Miami the first week is they took advantage of the situation. Miami's run defense couldn't stop them. Neither could Oakland. I mean, not Oakland. Las Vegas' Raiders, Raiders <laughs> couldn't stop them. Um, so it was one of those things where they took advantage of it and they, they pounded it down. You talk about Belichick taking away your strength, and Darren Waller yesterday was non-existent. What does he? What did Belichick do to take Waller out of the game? Because he was such a focal point just a week ago for for uh, for Vegas. Put pressure on um, the, the offensive line of the Raiders. Had some issues, that, and, and and I thought that um, you know uh, Derek Carr was under constant duress. If not, he was he was feeling it. He was feeling the yeah. pressure of being under duress, and in duress. And then uh, on top of that. Um, the, their zone scheme, there were a couple times where they bracketed Waller, where they had a trail underneath and they had a safety sitting over top, which really makes it for a tight window for a quarterback to get the ball in. And then there were times where they just, you know, he was, Derek couldn't find him, you know, just with, with the different things. That, so now with the Raiders moving forward, have to prepare for, there are going to probably be a lot of teams that are going to have a three-man rush. Uh, maybe a, maybe a Ford man, and when it comes to their green dogs, and when coming downhill, once they know that it's fast and say the back is in the chip, because the Raiders are having offensive line t- pressures, they've got to compl- uh, con- uh, they've got to control more of the viewpoint of, of keeping Derek secure. So you got to keep people in to protect, which allows less people to go out, which means you can double and you can bracket people like the, like the Patriots did to them. 250 yards rushing yesterday for the Patriots. You as an offensive lineman, is it easier to block for the run or the pass? I wouldn't necessarily use the word easier. It's more fun. As a big man, if I can come forward and smack you in the mouth, I'd much rather do that than back up and wait for you to come to me. So it's 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 that sort of philosophy. But it's not easier. Um, it, it's just where you can kind of set the attention, you can set the precedent early. If you're able to get movement, if you're able to stale, and, and what's more, the most demoralizing thing for a defense is when an opposing offense can run the ball and you can't stop. Them. Yeah, so but- that's that, that's the mental game that plays. I was going to ask, what's that feeling like when you as an offensive line are just mauling the opponent, the opposition's front four? What does that feel like? Gratifying, rewarding. Yeah. Anything that you can describe jubilation, that's exactly <laughs> what it feels. Do you have to block differently based on which ball carrier is going to get the ball? Like, Do you block for a Cam Newton different than you block for a Rex Burkhead or for a scat back? Like, do you block differently depending on who's going to get the ball? Yes, yes. And the plays are called differently. I mean, if you think about if you think about a man or an ISO play where you're coming right downhill between the tackles, you probably don't have to hold the window open for as long as you say someone who's trying to uh, a zone read or a, a zone play, which is trying to get to the outside, because those plays take a little bit more time to develop. So it, the play calling is different for each back, and the blocking can be different for each back as well. What's it like to block for a mobile quarterback, a quarterback that might leave the pocket at any given time? Certainly Cam can leave the pocket. Russell Wilson can leave the pocket. What's the what's the mindset for an offensive lineman knowing your quarterback might just take off? Unsettling because you don't know when he, when or if he's going to take off. The fact is, is that generally as an offensive tackle, I prefer my quarterback to stay on my inside hip. Um, that way I feel that I, if I push something up and around that he's going to be protected. But when you have a mobile quarterback, any anyway is 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 eligible and for a tackle it's more difficult because now i have to stay down the middle of the man so even if he determines that he wants to run up field i have to stay in the middle or try to get back in the middle because my quarterback could run out that way and 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 so it becomes unsettling where you don't know where your quarterback's going to be 
you know, we've talked a lot about Cam and how he's fit in in New England and how he's gotten the respect of his teammates. When a quarterback comes to a new organization, how can he endear himself to the offensive line? Like, what do you want to hear the quarterback tell you upon your first meeting? It's it's not so much what the quarterback will tell you. It's what the quarterback will do. Hmm. Um, the thing is, is as an offensive lineman, you have to really love the game in order to do your job effectively well. And if a quarterback wins you over just by his play, um, if he says he's going to go out there and do something and you watch him do it and you win, it's really not that hard. Is that is it real when we watch a game and we just assume as fans, okay, this quarterback isn't well-liked by his teammates. The offensive line doesn't rush over to pick him up after a sack or after a late hit or whatever. Is that real? Or is an offensive lineman always going to pick up the quarterback no matter what the feelings are about that quarterback? No, it's very real. It's very real. We're talking about personal feelings. So there are times where a quarterback is going to have the utmost trust of the entire offensive line. There's going to be time where the quarterback has trust for only a couple of the offensive line. One of those gauges or one of those telltale signs has always been when a quarterback gets hit, how many people rush over to pick him up or that type of thing. Or if he gets in a shoving match, how many guys are there to defend him? That's, that is truly a telltale sign. You played more than a decade in the league, got to a Super Bowl with the Raiders. What's it like to play for John Gruden? Well, you know what? It's just like any other coach. You know, coaches, when they come into a system or come into an organization, they want you, they want all the players to buy into their system. So they they want to, they want to, you know, speak on the level of trust. Uh, John Gruden was no different. As a young coach, when he first came to the Raiders and I was there, he wanted us to buy in a system. And he promised that if we bought into the system, that we would eventually win. And we did. And so, you know, the, you get that reward or that trust and you start to learn to like that coach. And now this time over, he's doing the same thing. And he's doing it more, more so a little bit different. Because he's turned over the roster to a lot of young guys, a lot of young guys who come into the league automatically want to be successful. So all you have to do is preach the fact that you want to win and you show them that you're going to win, then the guys will buy into them. So there's no difference the second time around. How has he evolved, though? You know, you say he's doing it a little bit different, but it's largely the same. But how has he evolved as a coach? You know, he had a decade out of the league. How's he evolved? He evolved by, by paying attention to the game and understanding that when he left the game, it's far different than what it is now. Today's coach has to deal with social media. Today's coach has to deal with the fact that rivalries aren't as strong as they once were. So players are generally the today's player believes in working through their first contract, testing free agency and shutting it down. In my opinion, there aren't a whole lot of players that want to play until they can't play anymore like it was when I was in the league. With that being said, that's a different temperament. That's a different ideology. And more important, you have to press upon the team that you're going to win and you're going to win now. So the sense of urgency becomes even greater. Once upon a time, you could build franchises, you could sustain franchises. Now long, now no longer are dynasties sort of in place. I mean, what happened in New England was an oxymoron because it hasn't happened anywhere right. else. And there were a number of reasons why that got to that. But for the most part, people are trying to win within that first four-year window that players come to their team because they know they can maximize or get the most out of them before they hit free agency and probably not be able to afford them anymore. You were a first-round draft pick, started your career in Atlanta, um, really took off once you got to the Raiders. Why does it click for some people in one place and maybe not another place? It's all about scheme. It's all about the fact is, you know, I've always felt good coaching comes from a coach who's able to utilize his talent the best of what they are. For example, when I went to Atlanta, Atlanta was mostly a run-and-shoot, a pass-happy team. Well, I mean, though I took the challenge on and took it for what it was worth, I really didn't gel, never really felt comfortable as an offensive lineman in that scheme. It was, it was too pass happy. It was too much backing up. I wanted to go forward and hit people. When I came over to, to the Raiders, well, we had a run game. We had a power run game that was downhill. And so I got to, I got to utilize my skills better. I could still pass block. There's no difference yeah. about it. But when you were more balanced with more run oriented rather than pass oriented, I was able to, to, to thrive and gel. 
you know, I have to ask you the obligatory tuck rule game question. Yeah. What, do you, what do you remember about that night? Everything. And I yeah. hate everything of it. So thanks for bringing it up. No, <laughs> no in all honesty, no, no. In, in, in all truthfulness, um, you know, there were so many things that happened that year in so many, in so many different ways it could go. And what I mean by that is that was the year of 9-11. Yeah. And um, um, one of the things and conspiracy theorists in me always plays, and it's no no offense to anybody, is, is that, you know, what better way to show or build America's morale than the Patriots become world yeah. champs? It is what it is. I mean, and there were a lot of things that led to that. But most of all, with that game, it was the fact that I thought we were a better team. And if things had happened just a little bit different through that season, one most notably was because of 9-11, we canceled the game that we were supposed to play that day, then canceled, postponed it. It was the Jets. We played the Jets at the final game of the regular season. They beat us. If we had beat the Jets, which we did the following week in the playoff, divisional playoff round, then New England would have had to come to us because we'd have had a better record. So because we lost to the Jets in the final game and then had to play and had to host, we won our division, but had to host the the, the game. Then um, with the Jets, the, that ended up allowing New England to host us when we came to them. So the whole tough rule thing happened that way. And on top of that, you know, the, I, I pride myself on knowing the rules of the game. I had never, ever heard of that rule when it when it was dusted off. And if we had if that rule had happened just five seconds earlier, it would not have been automatically reviewed because Belichick would not have challenged it. It was outside the two minute two minute warning zone, right. the two minute zone, and because it was under two minutes, it was automatically reviewed. Wow! And there you have it. So there are a number of circumstances that add up to it. <laughs> so it, was, it was a game that I wish we had back because I thought we were a better team, but we just played like crap. You know, I. I... I wish I had you on a year ago today to ask you this question. Both organizations burned by Antonio Brown. Sitting yeah. back at a year later, like what happened to Antonio Brown? He, he screwed up in in Oakland. He screwed up in Foxborough. I don't know what. I still don't know what to make of Antonio Brown. He was. He seriously needs mental help. Some way that I can put it. I mean, he he's got a couple screws loose. Now most of us do. They play this game. I mean, look, we're yeah. running four feet in a grown ass man. So most of us have a couple screws loose. But he was one of those guys that was. So so full of himself, um, he couldn't get out of his own way. And and after a while, his past began to catch up with him because, you know, you think about it, and it was just bad timing. Something that didn't wasn't, you know, Oakland or nobody else was really aware of or paid much attention to, the harassment by the, the young lady who wanted to sue him or whatever, yeah. or press charges on him. You know, that came out the same time that the issues with Robert Kraft down in Tampa at the Massage House came out. So now you've got, a, 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 you've got undue scrutiny that's coming your way, you know, for a man versus women and stuff like that. And all those other things that carry that come with that coming out at the same time. If you're and if you're Robert Kraft, if you're trying to put what happened to him in Tampa behind him, the last thing you can do is keep, you know, someone around who's, who's accused of, uh, of physically uh, abusing someone else. You know what I mean? So yep. it's things like that. It's bad timing. But all in all, a Antonio Brown, I think, has a couple screws. With I think he needs mental help because he just doesn't know how to get out of his own way. And that was more evident after the Patriots released him that he couldn't find himself. I'll get you out of here on a couple quick rapid fire type questions. I uh, have a little fun as we end up this uh, talk with Lincoln Kennedy. What's the coolest thing in your man cave? Uh, well, I mean, if I could move my camera around, I've got jerseys from all over. This is my my, my man cave, my office. Um, but I've got, you know, my background, I've got college uh, stuff and then everywhere else I've got man um, 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 jerseys from friends like Bob Whitfield and Jim Otto. I've got my offensive line for my Super Bowl team, um, um, uh, their jerseys all on my wall. So 
I guess just memorabilia. What's the best gift that a quarterback or running back ever gave you at the end of a season? It's a good one. Jeff George very early gave some gave us all, all, all his offensive linemen really nice tag year watches. Hmm. And I had not been familiar with tag until he he gave it gave me one and I liked it watching it. Still have a couple today. Do you ever judge a quarterback or running back by the gift that they give you? Not necessarily judge them, but you're not going to, you know, there was, there was an issue. I had a couple of quarterbacks that didn't take the time to think it through. Hmm. And, and I said, this is not good. This is not bode well. If you can't be thoughtful through your offensive line, it's not about how much money you spend. It's about the thought that goes into it. And I remember Rick Meyer, when he was, when I was out with the Raiders, he was a quarterback one year and he, his gift was a pair of noise canceling headphones by Bose. And they had just started coming out. So it was, it was a creative gift because we were flying all the time. Yeah. And these were great headphones. And so, you know, the, it was it was the thought that went into, it. you know, practical and, and reasonable. It doesn't have to be a spend a lot of spend a lot of money, but you just want to hopefully get some thought because you just want to feel somewhat appreciated. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I grew up in, in Seattle watching the Raiders and Broncos just destroy my Seahawks and Rick Meyer in particular. So I'm glad to know <laughs> he has a redeeming quality about him. He does, he does, he does. He's a great guy. <laughs> Yeah. So last question. Speaking of Seattle, you went to uh, University of Washington. Tell me about Schulte sausage. What is this story? <laughs> what is this story? You just had to go there. Okay, so the, the 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 short end version of it is that my other tackle was named Supeli Malamala, and we were booking tackles. So one day uh, we went out to lunch at Schulte's, and Soup said, you know, hey, let's try for this record. So if you eat you eat the most sausages in an hour, you get your name on the wall, and, and it, it's paid for. And so uh, I was like, okay, well, we'll give it a try. And this has been a couple of times we've been in there. And I was never really a big Brock fan, but uh, Soup talked me into it. So we started into this, and about three sausages in, Soup tapped out. He was like, I'm done, big dog. I couldn't do it. And so I was like, okay. And then so I just happened to ask, because I didn't know how these things work back then. I just happened to ask the uh, the attendant um, or the owner of the store, like, you know, what happens if we can't finish? He's like, well, you have to pay for all the sausages. Well, I'm a poor college student. We didn't have the money to do that. So I felt I felt I felt that I had to push forward and move on and do this thing. So about seven sausages in, I'm feeling bloated. I'm I'm dizzy and I'm looking at the clock and you had to eat the sausages along with the hoagie roll. Um, and so it became it became hard. And these are these are homemade uh, sausages. Very good. Very tasty, by the way, but just a lot. Um, so I go you know, get through seven and go to get through nine. I think the record was 10 at the time. And by this point, I feel as though I've got sausages up to my eyeballs. eyeballs. Oh. I feel that I'm about to blow. And I'm like trying to keep this down. And Soup is in the background. He's like, big fella, big fella, let's just run. Let's just run for it. I said, I can't run anywhere. I said, <laughs> I'm, bloated. I'm not running anywhere. So I, I and besides, we couldn't do that anyways. Um, so we did the, the 11th sausage. And, and I just made it in time with the 11th sausage, finished it. You had to swallow it. And everything else and i didn't throw up um i went to the bathroom i ritz my face off because i was sweating sort of like i am now but a little bit more <laughs> profuse. and then um uh we had the record and so didn't think anything of it because it was just a little small hole in the wall you know sausage shop but that's what i try to impress upon my kids that there are things that you do in life will follow you forever <laughs> and so it was always made a big deal of when i when i've done interviews especially with people the first time they always want to bring that up but 11 sausages in one hour and uh and i and i don't like brats to this day <laughs> is, is there a crowd around you as you're going through this or is it just you and your buddy and the owner just, it, it was, there were probably it was soup and i and maybe another person and then the workers in the store i mean it was really a hole in the wall 
sausage spot on the app wow. in, in Seattle. And it really, I mean, it really, it, it, Schultz's actually, I went back to Seattle a few years ago, became a bigger restaurant on the app. It's a bigger spot. And they still have it on the wall of fame, I guess, well, the, 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 the sort of hierarchy of sausage eaters. And my name is still up there. I don't know if the record's ever been broken, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it was just a little hole in the wall spot. All pro lineman, pro bowl lineman, eater of sausages, <laughs> radio team, Lincoln Kennedy. Lincoln, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Good happening. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate being around. All right. I want to thank Lincoln Kennedy for coming in there, uh, for coming in here on the podcast. Again, former All-Pro, former Pro Bowler as well. Hel holds the record for most sausages eaten at that Seattle restaurant establishment. I've always wanted to do an eating challenge. Aaron, if you were going to do an eating challenge, what uh, what one thing do you think you could house? Oh, man. Um, I've always thought like the hot dog eating challenges are gross, so that's out. There's something about like Dipping a hot dog in a bun in water that doesn't yes. work for me. Uh, Boneless wings, I feel like I could give a good run to. I can put down wings pretty well. Uh, that might be that might be it actually. Would you be more of a quantity challenge guy or a speed challenge guy? Speed. Uh, I already eat kind of fast. It's uh, it can be embarrassing at times when I look up and realize that. I've just been standing there mowing down food while everyone else is ha trying to have a nice dinner. Um, so that's probably what I'd go for. I think steak is something I'd love to try a challenge in. I love steak, and I can eat an awful lot of it. Now, I don't know what most steak challenges, like the level is at, but I feel very confident I could get down 30 ounces of steak. Now, I, again, a good steak challenge might be 50 ounces, but I, like, I feel like I could give steak a run for its money. I would do that. I'd love to do this, like a steak eating challenge. Steak's amazing. Fast, slow, a lot of it, a little bit of it, doesn't matter. Steak, steak, great. Are you are you a steak sauce guy? Uh, not really. I prefer like cuts of steak that can pretty much stand by themselves. Salt and pepper, some maybe some garlic, the right amount of time on the grill. Now, if it's the steak sauce, can definitely save a poorly cooked or bad cut of steak. See, I am addicted to steak sauce, and it doesn't matter if it's good steak, bad steak. And people get very offended. Like, high-quality steak chefs get upset when you ask for steak sauce because you're right. It should be able to stand on its own. But in college, every Sunday, we would have steak, and they overcook it so much because they don't want anybody to get sick, right? Like, they're doing that on purpose because they don't want to undercook it. So I was at the point where it was like a whole bottle of steak sauce – on like one cut of steak and i've just held that mantra throughout the rest of my life i will not have steak unless there's steak sauce there yeah college steak is i can see that changing the way a person eats steak having eaten some college food in my day and then steak sauce is delicious like it is it's more a shame that steak sauce is steak sauce and not just a sauce people put on things I'll put like, I'll, I'll use steak sauce with chicken if I want to. I'll take a little roast chicken, just start picking at it with my fingers, dip a little steak sauce in it. I'll use it on sandwiches. I'll use steak sauce for more than just steak. It's a good condiment. It doesn't get <laughs> enough credit. It is a top tier condiment, that's for sure. All right, Aaron, let's get to uh, let's get to a couple notable things from the game yesterday. It might be big. It might not be. But it caught our attention. One big note from the game. That's actually two big notes to me, actually. Well, two medium-sized notes to me. 
One, Stephon Gilmore had another pass interference penalty yesterday. This is the defensive player of the year. That's now three pass interference penalties for him, tied for the most in the NFL. So I believe he had two against Miami, one against the Raiders, and then he got shredded on a couple plays by DK Metcalf in week two. The Patriots' secondary is by far the best portion of their defense, and he is by far the best player in that in that secondary. They don't need him to be the DPOY again. They just need him to be really, really, really good. And while it hasn't hurt them yet, three pass interference penalties in three games, that's too much. Uh, number two, my second note for this is the NFL announced early this morning, so early Monday morning, that they have moved – the Patriots week five game against the Broncos from a one o'clock start to a four twenty-five start. The primary consensus is that people want to see Cam Newton, that Cam Newton is a draw, that the Patriots are a draw. When the schedule came out this summer and the Pats were given five primetime games, we were like, okay, early in the season, sure, because you want to see how they are post Brady, but then we didn't think the Pats were going to be very good. So are you really going to want to watch a Monday night game and week whatever late in the season and see the an average to bad Pats team? Right now, the answer is yes. The networks want Cam. The networks want the Patriots. And the Patriots are still right up there with as close to a good a draw as any in the NFL. All right, Aaron, let's wrap this up. This made me want to drink. The weekend is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Yeah. yeah. Thank God I'm exhausted. <sighs> But this makes me want to drink. I just can't. I need a drink. Give me a drink. All right, this makes me want to drink. The NFL has to do something about this 10-second runoff rule that we saw yesterday at the end of the first half. So, Aaron, I want you to play the touchdown pass, Derek Carr to Foster Moreau, that came right at the end of the first half. Let's start there. Here we are. One yard line. They got the defense to move. This is a free shot. Touchdown pass. Touchdown pass. Foster Moreau. So that happens right before the end of the first half. Okay? That happens right before the end of the first half. Before that, there was 15 seconds left, and Derek Carr hits um, Hunter Renfro deep down the sideline for like 26 yards. It's called a touchdown. Then they go back, and they see that Renfro is actually down at the one. And – it gets very confusing, but since the officials had to go and look at it, since Renfro was not in, they were going to penalize the Raiders 10 seconds, a 10-second runoff. And Tony Romo and Jim Nance on TV were trying to explain this. And again, it's one of the more complicated NFL rules. So because if Renfro had been correctly marked down at the one, the Raiders would have had to run down the field and spike the ball. And the NFL rule says that that should take them 10 seconds. Well, it all is dependent from how far you're starting from. But 10 seconds seems like an egregious penalty there. So the Raiders had a touchdown, then had a touchdown called back, and then we're going to lose 10 seconds because of the official stopping to get the call correct. Aaron, I understand the intent of the rule that you don't want to, you know, you don't want to not take off any time there because, again, the Raiders would have had to run down the field, get in formation, and spike the ball. But 10 seconds, even Romo was saying, it doesn't take 10 seconds to go and spike the ball. There's got to be something done about this rule. Teams should not be penalized like this. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's really just a lazy solution to the problem because the problem, obviously, is that if an offense has no timeouts and the officials make that mistake, 
and nothing gets done about it, then the defense gets penalized for the official's mistake. But with that being said, you can't penalize the offense then for that same mistake. That can't be your solution to the problem. Um, I I don't know necessarily what the solution is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's if it's a five second runoff. I don't know if it's you're gonna actually just say, "Hey, all right, we're gonna put the ball where it's supposed to," and the quarterback and center are gonna run down from the original line of scrimmage and see how long it takes them to get down there. I, I don't know what the answer is either. But you should not have to lose ten seconds of time here for the officials' decision to stop the game. Now it ended up not mattering because um, the the Raiders. Time. The Raiders had a timeout, but there was also defensive holding on that play with Renfro. So the defensive holding stops the clock inherently by rule. So everything we were speculating about didn't end up mattering. But I hate seeing teams penalized for the officials stopping to get the call right. Maybe, you know, we'll have to talk to an official and try to figure out what the what the best answer to that could be. But uh, the offense should not lose 10 seconds. You're right, the defense can't be penalized, but... Maybe there's a compromise. Maybe it's five seconds. Maybe it's seven seconds. But I've seen games end where a team, you know, there's eight seconds left. A team should be able to get in formation, spike the ball, kick a game field goal. They lose the opportunity to do that because because the clock runs out on them because of the runoff. So, all right, Patriots win. That will do it for today. Thanks to Aaron, our producer. Thanks to Lincoln Kennedy, former All-Pro offensive lineman, for joining us as well. We'll be back on Either Thursday or Friday, getting you ready for Patriots and Chiefs as we tape this. Patriots or the Chiefs are unbeaten, playing the Ravens tonight. I think that they're going to beat the Ravens tonight. We'll see what happens when we get ready for the Chiefs and Pats matchup uh, again, either Thursday or Friday of this week. Until then, we'll see you soon and go Pats. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.